Jesus, God, you are God alone tonight. Hallelujah, God, we worship you. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, it's good to be in the presence of the Holy Ghost tonight. It's good to be in the presence of our fellow soldiers in Christ. It's good to be in the church. Amen. Thankful to be a part of the church, be a part of the kingdom of God. I consider it a great honor and a privilege that God would allow me in. Amen. He would allow me to be a part of this. Amen. I never want to lose my thankfulness and just the honor that it is and the privilege that it is to be part of a Pentecostal church. Amen. The first message I ever preached was Pentecost is not a punishment. It's a privilege. Amen. Our cup runneth over. Amen. It's a privilege to be a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. You can be seated for the very last time in those current seats. Amen. You got till Sunday. So you need to start sharpsuiting that new, that, new, that new seat that you're going to pick out before someone else gets it. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird uh, even preaching to a, a, different, uh, a different crowd out there, but I believe God wants us to get ready for some change. Amen. Change is good. Amen. There's some, there's some seats in here that haven't been filled in a while, and if they become filled, that change will be good. Amen. God is good. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Sister Sarah, could I get just a little more monitor? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we are going to continue our study on 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be covering some topics tonight that are probably a pastor's least favorite topic. Um, some of the subjects that will be discussed tonight are are very difficult subjects, very delicate um, subjects, but thank God that we have direction from His Word. For every difficult situation in life, um, God has given us His Word. He's given us direction. He's given us principles that we can live by. So we're going to go through this tonight Starting in verse 1, Paul starts out, he says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So he starts this out, and apparently they had um, written Paul and had asked him some specific questions. And uh, so now Paul is going to answer some of these questions that the, the Corinthian church had for him. So he says, now concerning the things that you wrote unto me, and he's going to answer, it is not good for a man to touch a woman. And of course, um, the context of this is sexual contact, okay? Because the rest of this chapter um, is going to talk about, um, it's going to talk about marriage and, and sexual immorality and fornication and adultery, those sort of things. So the question they asked Paul could have possibly been, since Paul had, had in previous chapters, had talked about um, the problem of sexual sin that they had in their culture, 
um, in Corinth and even in their church, Paul came down on it really hard. So they asked, they could have possibly asked this question, since sexual immorality is so dangerous, would it be better just to abstain from sex altogether? That could have been the question. And in this question, um, they were possibly suggesting um, celibacy um, even within a marriage, okay? So now Paul is answering this question. In verse 2, he says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Okay, this was Paul's response that, that, that sex should be within a marriage, and that is a good thing. Amen. That was the plan of God from the beginning. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Okay? So this is the original plan of God for marriage. So we go to verse 3. It says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. And the wife hath no power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath no power over his own body, but the wife. In verse 5 it says, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for incontinency. I even looked up the pronunciation, incontinency. There it is, incontinency, uh, which means you're not able to restrain yourself. So Paul's talking about giving due benevolence to the wife um, from the husband and also um, to the husband from the wife. And, and we understand that this is not just a physical transaction. Um, we understand that I'm not, I'm not, you know, this is not a marriage session tonight, and I'm not going to get too deep into some of this stuff. But uh, when we become married, we become one flesh, and our bodies are no longer our own. We have given ourselves to our husbands, to our wives, and wives to their husbands. And he's, he's talking about how this, this relationship should be. So there is a, a binding obligation between a husband and a wife to serve each other with physical affection. That is the will of God within a marriage. And it's pretty neat and it's pretty cool that God has chosen um, for there in a marriage it just to be one person. That's a, a pretty neat thing that we are just to be married to one person. So everybody, um, God has, has aligned or planned just one person to be your husband and to be your wife. And that there is great fulfillment um, and satisfaction into having one wife and one husband for your entire life. That is the plan of God. So young people, keep yourselves. Keep yourselves for that one person. Okay, we, I remember going through a class. There was a lot of teaching on this when I was in the youth group. You know, Brother Simons, I remember him teaching worth the weight and that sort of thing. But it is important that young people, if you're unmarried here today, keep yourself for that one person. 
Because that's the plan and the will of God. Okay, and there's something very special about that. And Paul talks about defrauding each other. He says, don't keep yourself uh, from your spouse. And, uh, and, and he, he talked about some of the dangers with that. Paul rejects the idea that celibacy um, is more holy. And this was the sort of the, the, it could have been the question that the Corinthians were asking Paul, like, should we even abstain from sex within a marriage? And Paul's saying, no. If you're married, this is good and fine and well within a marriage, okay? You are not more holy because you're celibate within a marriage. Um, and, of course, he talks about if, if, if you guys agree to do that for a time, for a spiritual reason, or if you're on a fast, you don't want to be distracted, that's fine. That's good, but you, yeah, that needs to be agreed upon. But that's not the command of God, Okay? So Paul warns of the, the dangers and the temptations um, that come from restraining yourself uh, from your spouse. The idea that Paul, that Paul is talking about here is that God does not command or even recommend abstaining from sex within marriage, but it can be done for a brief time uh, for a specific, specific spiritual reason, like I said. Uh, I want to read a quote here talking about these few verses says the principle in this passage is important god makes it clear that there is nothing wrong and everything right about sex in a marriage and satan's great strategy when it comes to sex is to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of marriage and to discourage sex within marriage and it is an equal victory for satan if he accomplishes either plan and that's, uh, that kind of sums up what Paul was talking about here, okay? Uh, Satan wants, uh, wants to encourage sex out of marriage, and he wants to, to people to restrain from having sex within a marriage. Because that just leads to relationship problems galore, is what it leads to, okay? And that's what Satan is, is really all about, causing division, causing problems uh, within relationships, in verse 6, he says, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. And Paul is speaking in principle, not necessarily repeating the word of God or commanding something, but he said, this is per permissible. Um, it, it, he's, and he's referring to if you decide to abstain from sex for a certain amount of time. He said, this is permissible, not necessarily recommended. Um, and, and he's saying uh, this is not a commandment, it's something that you have to do. But you can, it is allowable within a marriage. In verse 7, he says, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. And I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, it says, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So Paul was talking about his current condition, and that was he was unmarried, okay? And he understood the distractions of, of being married and that can come with a family. And he, he, from his vantage point, it was better that if you're unmarried, just to stay unmarried. Okay, we're going to get into some of this in a little bit, but 
Um, this, was, this was his gifting to live this way. This was his gifting to live um, in a celibate fashion. Um, he also understood that, it was this, th- that this isn't for everyone and probably not most people. Um, just as there is a, a gifting to be celibate as Paul was, there's also a gifting to be married, okay? Because both of these, if you're, if you're going to commit yourself to being celibate, you're making a commitment, and there's some faithfulness that's required to live that way. But if you're going to get married, you're also making a commitment, and there's some faithfulness that's required there as well, okay? So... Um, uh, God is, is, not everybody can live like Paul, and Paul understood that. And, and Paul understood that marriage helped with the, with the pressures of sexual immorality. He says, if you cannot contain yourself, you ought to be married. That's what he said. And he was talking about sexual desires. He said it's better, better to marry than to burn. And what he meant by burn is burn with lusts and, and sexual desires. It's better just to be married if, if you can't contain yourself. Interesting enough, and I don't want to um, create any sort of doctrine at all. Um, I've heard this before. I, I read this as I was studying for this, this message tonight. But some do believe that Paul was married at some point. Um, he, that he was actually married before he became a Christian. And we don't, this is pure speculation. Um, some of the, the, the reasons they think that is Paul was part of the Sanhedrin, and they say that in order to be part of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. Um, also, it was just kind of an expectation for a young Jewish man to be married. And if you were a young Jewish man and you weren't married, you weren't right. And, of course, we knew that Paul was pretty faithful um, to the Jewish customs and law and that sort of thing. So whether he was married before he became a Christian or not, it doesn't really make a difference with anything. Um, but it could, it could, it, it makes sense, maybe the, the perspective that he was coming from in this scripture, if that was the case. But again, it's pure speculation, and I'm not totally convinced of it. So don't say that I said that. Amen? But there's some respectful men of God within our, our ranks that do believe this, and, um, but we don't know for sure. First uh, Timothy 4, 1 through, 1 through 3, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, he was talking, in verse 1, he's talking about doctrines of devils. And he, in verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In verse 3, says, forbidding to marry. So forbidding to marry, um, Paul categorized that as a doctrine of devils. Okay, so we understand that Paul wasn't against marriage, okay? Because he basically said, the, what he said to Paul, that's a doctrine of the devil to forbid somebody um, to be married. And we understand that there's other scripture, that when a man findeth a wife, he findeth a good thing. Amen? Man, there should be just a resounding amen from all the men. Amen? I'll tell you what, when I found my wife, it was a good thing. And honestly, my wife's one of the, besides the Holy Ghost, probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's the truth. Because she was a lot more holy than I was. She loved God more than I did back in, when I was younger. And, uh, and she, her lifestyle helped me draw closer to God. She, when I found a good wife, 
I, find, I found it's a good, good thing. And I wish she was here tonight. Hopefully she's listening. Baby, I love you. Can you hear me? Also, we understand that there's other you know, for sh- uh, types and, and, sh- and shadows in Scripture of a husband and a wife, and that's likened to God and the church. So we understand that even though Paul said, I, I would prefer that you would just remain unmarried, we understand that Paul was not preaching against marriage or forbidding somebody to be married, but he was preaching because he understood um, some of the distractions that come along with that. We'll touch on that in a little bit. In verse 10, he says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. Verse 11, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. So again, he answered, he had already answered the questions about the merits of, of being married or single, and that it's not, uh, it's not more spiritual to abstain from sex within marriage, but he now addresses married people, okay? He says, now to the married people, and he says, I command you, okay? Because he, he has some word for this stance. He has the word of God for this stance, He says, I command you. He's talking to married people. He's dealing with both husband and wife wife who are in the church, who are Christians. I mean, in this scenario, he says that separation and divorce is not allowed within the church between two Christians. That's what he said. He said, let not the woman depart Okay? Let not the white de- wife depart from her husband. And he's quoting the Lord. He says, yet not I, but the Lord. The Lord said this. So we're going to go through this a little bit. In Matthew chapter 19, and this is Jesus talking um, to the Pharisees. Uh, Matthew 19 and verse 3 says, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause. And I was thinking about this. We can learn a lesson from the questions that the Pharisees asked. The Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to get him to to mess up. And I believe that sometimes we can get caught up with um, pharmaceutical conversation. Um, pharmaceutical, that's the right word, pharmaceutical, um, questions. Um, Verse 4 says, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So Jesus is quoting Scripture. Verse 6 is, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. And he says, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That was not the original plan of God for Moses to write 
um, uh, letters of divorcement to allow this, but it was because of the hardness of their hearts that, that they, and if you read back through that, they were trying to protect the wife because men were just deserting their wives. And verse 9 says, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, say they, save they to whom it is given. It says, For there are some eunuchs which were born uh, from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs who were made eunuchs of men, and then there be eunuchs which have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. So here we have Jesus talking about divorce. And Paul just got done basically quoting and backing up what Jesus, what the stance is in Scripture. Okay? So this, this, ver- this scripture covers one of the two specific grounds under which God will recognize a divorce, okay? And that, this one that he was talking about here is sexual immorality. It is uh, adultery. And I believe that this is a physical act of adultery, um, I believe that this would actually have to be done in real life to be considered adultery, not, not adultery in the heart, um, not necessarily looking at pornography, even though that's a huge issue and that's a problem that should be stopped. Um, but that, I believe that um, it would actually have to be acted out in real life. And God would, um, would look at this and recognize this as a, as a uh, justifiable divorce. Um, God did not say in this instance that they have to get a divorce, Okay, um, repentance can happen. Um, people can change, right? And God can restore. Amen. We believe God can change people, and if and if you get a divorce for an invalid reason and marry another, um, Jesus said you are committing adultery. That's what He said. You know, the world has all sorts of reasons for divorce, and, and uh, they'll say, I don't love them anymore, and I, I made a mistake, and we don't have anything in common anymore. Um, those are invalid reasons for divorce. Um, the only valid reason that Jesus said in this scripture was that if they commit adultery, okay? And, but Paul said in that, in that next verse, he said, if she depart... Okay, if she depart, and, and this is not an exception to the rule or an encouragement to do so, okay? But the reality is, is that because of sin, um, people get divorced for the wrong reasons. It happens. It's, it's reality. Um, and it is simply just because of sin. It's because of the hardness of of hearts, and, and if this happens, there should be no remarriage. That's what, that's what Jesus said. He says, if she departs, let her remain unmarried. Okay? Or, or, and then it goes on, or, rec- or she should be reconciled to her husband. Okay? If she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. 
So really the goal should always be is reconciliation. Um, they, may, uh, they may be separated, but they should not live as single if they have been, um, if they got divorced for, uh, the, for an invalid reason, if there was no adultery, okay? And, and so you are, you're not allowed to be remarried in that case. And the goal really should be reconciliation. God hates divorce. That's what the word says. God hates it. Um, he, he hates what it does to families. He hates what it does to the kids. Um, he hates what it does to the, the grandkids and so on. It is, a, it is a terrible thing. And I believe that God's vision and God's opinion of every broken situation is restoration and reconciliation. I believe that's what God wants in every broken marriage. And if God wants that, then why would I want any other thing than that? If God's saying, I can do a miracle, I can change a heart, I can take somebody who has an issue and restore them, okay? If that's God's vision for a broken situation, then I want it to be my vision. You know, I hear a lot of opinions on divorce. I hear a lot of opinions on, on, on this particular subject and, and the grounds for divorce and what's justified and what's not. But my question is, is what's God's take on it? What does God think about the situation? And if God wants to restore and say, I can fix that, then I'm going to believe for that in every broken situation. Because that's what God did in my life. That's what God did in my family. And if he did it for me, he can do it for somebody else. That's what I pray for. That's what I hope for. And I believe that's what God wants. Why would we not want what God wants? So again, there are a lot of thoughts on this subject, and the discussion and the questions are usually geared towards what are justifiable grounds for divorce. Okay? As a matter of fact, pretty much every conversation I've ever been a part of has been geared towards what are the justifiable grounds for divorce. But I think we should maybe change our conversation, and we should ask a different question, like, how could this marriage be saved? If you're in that situation, you could ask, God, how can, the, how can I save this marriage? What can I do? Like, that's God's ultimate goal in broken situation, because God hates divorce. Amen? Ooh, I knew this was going to be tough tonight. But this is the word of God. Okay, I don't have an agenda up here tonight. I didn't plan to preach this tonight for any specific reason besides that we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is just the word of God. Okay, verse 12 says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Okay, so Paul's like, To the rest I speak. I don't necessarily have a commandment from God. He says, If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased, do well with him, 
Let him not put her away. Okay? So, again, I'll, I'll reiterate, Jesus didn't have any word for this necessarily. Okay? So he said, this I speak, not the Lord. But that doesn't mean that Paul was wrong here. Okay? Because Paul probably didn't even realize that when he wrote this, that God was going to use this as his inspired word. Okay? So Paul wrote this, and he was inspired by God. So this is the word of God, even though he says, not the Lord. Get what I'm saying here? These are principles that came from the Apostle Paul that God inspired to be in Scripture. In verse 13, it says, And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy." But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. And a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So here Paul is talking about the case of a, of a believer being married to an unbeliever. He said, if at all possible... Um, they should stay married. Um, he said there's a good chance that the unbelieving spouse could be saved because of the influence um, of the saved spouse. Okay? Uh, there, there's a great chance of, of, of that happening, and that should be the goal, that they could be one to God. And, uh, and the, the, he said also in consideration, we've got we to gotta think about the children and, and what's going to happen to the children if, if the house is split up. And he said that the children would be saved and they won't grow up in a broken home. And we understand that children who are raised in broken homes, it's a huge detriment to them and, and a huge detriment to them being saved. So Paul's saying, if you're married to an unbeliever, it's be- he's not talking about marrying an unbeliever, okay? We have scripture for, for that, that if you're a believer here today, you should have no business being in a relationship with somebody who's an unbeliever, okay? And I'll even say this, if they don't have the Holy Ghost, if they're not baptized in Jesus' name, if they're not living a life of holiness, um, you ought to just stay away from that relationship, I wouldn't seek that relationship for marriage. But if you were married and then you came to God, um, Paul is saying you need to stay married. And through your lifestyle and through your conversation, um, you can have an influence on them that they would be one to Christ and that your children also would be saved. We have 1 Peter 3 and 1. Peter says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So in this case, the husband's not saved, the wife is, and the wife says, hey, just respect your husband, submit to him, okay, within a reason. Like if he tells you to not live for God, you're not going to submit to that, okay? But I think a, a godly wife can go home to an unsaved husband and revere him, respect him, love him, and through that lifestyle, through her, the Holy Ghost that's within her, that that husband would be saved. And that, that should be the goal. 
You know, you love them enough to marry them. You should love them enough to, to win them to God. Amen? Not just leave them. In verse 15, I want to read this verse again. It says, But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. And a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So it does say that if your spouse leaves you, um, when you when you become saved, and if they depart and they don't want anything to do with it, it says just to let them depart, let them go. Um, in this case, they've uh, they've abandoned you, and there's nothing really you can do. Um, if they if they get a divorce, then you you sort of don't always have a um, any other choice. Um, but I would say that this isn't an automatic pass to remarry. Um, it says that if, if they depart, stay unmarried, unless there's adultery. And, and you know, time, in these situations, time goes on. And, and I guess what the hope is, is, is if you remain unmarried, if your unbelieving spouse leaves you and abandons you, the hope is, is that time would go on and they would realize, um, maybe they would come to themselves and they would come back. Like the hope always has to be restoration and reconciliation, okay? So don't, it's not just an automatic pass to be like, well, I can remarry now. Um, and if they go off, if your unbelieving spouse goes off and they remarry and they commit adultery, um, I would say that you are, are free from that and that obligation and you would be able to remarry. But again, um, that ought not to be the first thing on our a restoration ought to be the f- number one thing on our mind in the, in, minds in these broken situations. Verse 17 says, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so, so ordain I in all churches. And the principle here is to, to live for God right now. Um, where you are at, he said, no matter your station, no matter your position, whether you're married, you're single, you're divorced, you're widowed, you're remarried, Paul's just saying, just walk forward with God right now. Because the truth is, is we, we can't undo the past in regards to our relationships. Um, we just got to repent of whatever the sin is and move on. That's what we have to do. We can't undo things in the past. And if you were wrongfully divorced before becoming a Christian um, and you remarried, don't think you need to, to leave your wife now and be reconciled to your first spouse, okay? I don't think that's the will of God. Two, two wrongs don't make a right. Two divorces don't make a right, okay? Just move forward where you're at now, and I believe God will help you. Also, we oftentimes get caught up in the idea that, you know, that things are better on the other side. Um, you know, when this happens, when I, when I get married or when I'm free from this marriage, then I can, then I can live for God successfully. Um, the truth is, is um, being right with God is more important than being happy. Amen? Being right with God is more important than being happy. That doesn't always that doesn't sit that well, does it? So our our pursuit is to please God. Not 
pursue happiness. I know as Americans, right, we, we're in the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. But as a child of God, our pursuit is to please God. Our pursuit is to obey God. When we get to the end of this life, the question isn't going to be, were you happy? It's going to be, did you obey God? Did you seek truth? Not, were you happy? And understand that if you will have the attitude that I'm just going to live for God, I'm going to seek truth, I'm going to please God, the people that have those attitudes are happy. Okay? They are happy. The Bible says that, but he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Okay? And you could translate blessed as happy are they that hear the word of God and keep it. But we're not seeking happiness. We're seeking truth. We're seeking to do what is right. And then God will just work everything out and you will be happy. Okay? Sometimes in the middle of those decisions, you're like, man, this is a tough decision. I'm going to be miserable, but this is what God said. Okay? If you will just listen to God and obey God, you'll be blessed. You will be happy. That's what the Word of God says. Okay? In the moment, it might not seem like it, but God has a way of taking care of things. And I think everybody has a testimony of you just made that decision, you made a tough decision a decision that was, you know, just not popular, went against everything in your flesh, okay? You know, how am I going to make it through this? But you just did it, and God took care of it. Verse 18, is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping of the commandments of God. He says, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called, being a servant, care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. And the, Paul is just backing up this principle here of married or unmarried, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, you can walk in the kingdom of God right now, okay? Right now you can do that, and he'll help you. You cannot let your past decisions, your, your past uh, stations in life dictate where God wants to take you now. Verse 25 says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, Yet I give my judgment. So here Paul again, he's saying, I don't have a commandment from God here, but I'll give you my judgment, okay? And the judgment of Paul here is inspired, okay? So this is still the word of God. As one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Uh, Verse 26, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man So to be, art thou bound unto a wife, seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife, seek not a wife. And Paul said here, he says, because of this present distress, and we can speculate uh, what was going on. Uh, You know, most people will 
uh, you know, agree that there was, there was severe persecution in the church. He was talking about this present distress, that they were enduring some hard times uh, within the church. And he was saying, because of this present distress, it would be best if you're unmarried to stay unmarried. And if you're married, you need to stay married. Okay? Um, and the fact is that there are seasons, that these seasons of persecution um, and this present distress um, can be more endurable if you don't have a wife and a family. That's just the, that's the, that's the facts that, that, you know, if you're being persecuted and we've heard these stories from overseas and they're, they're pointing a gun at you and they want you to renounce Jesus, well, it's easy to say, I'm not going to do that, and they take your life. But when they're torturing your children and abusing your wife and they're pointing a, pointing a gun at you, it, 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 it puts a whole other um, spin on the situation. So because of this present distress, Paul's saying, listen, it'll be easier to get through this if you don't have a family to worry about. Um, he says, during this present distress, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Um, and this may sort of also help us understand uh, Paul's tone in this chapter, um, that there was persecution happening um, to this church, and there was sort, some sort of distress happening. Verse 28 says, But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, he hath not, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And Paul, even Paul, 2,000 years ago, said that the time is short. Um, our time is short today. Okay, regardless of what time, of when the rapture is coming, all through history, preachers said the time is short. And it just means that we need to take our time seriously. It's not time to mess around with the things of the world. Okay, it's not time to be distracted. It's not time to live on the edge. And I believe that uh, God is calling us to a deeper walk with him because I believe that the time is short. This world is waxing worse and worse. Okay, they're becoming lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And what's good is, is, is bad and what's bad is good. I know some of you may know this, but there was a video taken at family camp of a bunch of our children uh, praying at the altar, speaking in tongues, a beautiful thing. And Brother Robinette took the video and he posted it on his Facebook and Instagram account. He told me today he had like a quarter million views on it. But there was some Instagram account, some Christian hater group that took that same video, posted it on his account, and just made accusations of indoctrination and all this stuff. And the haters were hating and that video right now, right now has over 20 million views. The devil is mad, okay? The haters are hating, okay? But, so the world is just getting insane. Like it blows my mind that millions of people could comment on a video of little kids praying at a church camp and say this is the, the worst thing that could ever happen to a kid, I mean, it blows my mind that they, anybody would even think that way. 
But that's the way of the world right now. Okay, that's, that's the thinking. And we've got to understand that the time is short. It, it, we got to be done playing games. We got to be done being lukewarm. We got to be done being on the edge. Some of you have been sitting in these pews for a long time quenching the spirit of God. God's been dealing with you. He's been talking to you about some things. And it's time to respond to the Holy Ghost and to do what he's asking you to do. This life is short. It's but a vapor in the wind. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. None of us know our time. And we've got to make sure that we are right with God. And of course, in the context of this scripture... And Paul was talking about families and wives, and, and he, he was encouraging them to not live like their family is the only thing that matters. That's what he said. He says, you need to keep an eye on eternity. He says, and they, in verse 30, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world is not, is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Okay, and I believe that families are important. Okay, I believe that, uh, you know, I believe it's part of the kingdom of God to raise your family. I'm not saying neglect the, neglect the family. That's not what Paul was saying. But he, did, he was warning of the distractions that do come with a family, that do come with children. And I was thinking today, like, you know, if I wasn't married, and I, this was not hopeful thinking in any way, but if I wasn't married and didn't have any kids, my life would be a whole lot simpler, okay? It wouldn't matter what color the walls are, okay? I wouldn't need a four-bedroom house. I wouldn't need, it, it wouldn't matter at all. I would be like, I could go live in a cave. It'd be simple, and I could do the work of God all day long. And I mean, I'm not hoping, I'm thankful for my family, okay? But I got to make sure that even though my, our families are important, and I believe our families are the backbone of the church, God, God wants us to have strong families, but make sure that our family isn't a distraction or an excuse for us not to do the work of the kingdom either. Okay, and this is what Paul was talking about. Verse 32 says, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There it is. Got to make sure the paint colors are right. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. In this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Paul was just stating the facts about the distractions that can come with a family as we as, we as parents, and especially we as fathers, okay, men of the home, husbands, we need to understand this carefully. Okay, we need to take the kingdom of God seriously. And we need to, I, we need to take our families seriously, but, we, but while we raise our families in church, we also need to be doing the work 
of the kingdom. It's not one or the other. Okay, it's both at the same time. And I believe in doing the work of God with your family. And the truth is, is that some have placed such an emphasis on taking care of their family with their career monetarily that kingdom work is pretty much completely neglected because you're out working, taking care of your family, and kingdom work is non-existent. That's not the will of God. God wants you to take care of your family while you do kingdom work. Will your kids remember you? I'm speaking to the dads. Will your kids remember you as a father who worked hard and made a lot of money? Or will they remember you as a father who worked hard and made a kingdom impact? That you were a pillar in the church. You taught Bible studies. You reached out. You witnessed to people. You were part of the church. What will your kids remember you by? I'm all about working hard. I'm all about a good long day's worth of work. But if you do that, you also got to gotta work in the kingdom. And I talked about this Sunday. Verse 36 through 40 says, But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin. So this is a, Paul's talking to fathers here. Because understand in this culture, um, the parents sort of aligned, lined up the, re, you know, the marriages. So, but if any man think that he be, behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need, to, need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth well. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she, she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So for Paul, the choice between married and single was not the choice between good and bad, um, but it was a choice between better and best. And for Paul, in light of the present circumstances, um, he, re he regarded singleness as best, according to this, the present distress in, in their church at this time. And I, I will say this, that I, there's no way for me to go through every, every different instance of, of situations and and uh, um, there's certainly some, there's cer certainly some cases that are just, uh, they're very difficult to deal with. And I, I understand that. But tonight, that we have some really sound principles in the Word of God when it comes to marriage and it comes to divorce. Okay, we have them. And, uh, and I would say this too, that, you know, if there's a broken marriage, um, you know, there, there is help. There is accountability. Um, if there's a marriage that, that, um, that they want to make it right, there, there, there can be, um, you know, steps of accountability set up. And, 
And it's interesting in the previous chapter, in chapter six, you know, we talked we talked a little bit about you know they were having there were some quarrels going on amongst each other in the church, and they wanted to take each other to to court. They wanted to take each other to to the law to get it worked out. And and uh, and again, like there is a time, like there is justifiable divorce due to adultery and and that sort of thing. And I, I was thinking about this, and and the situation is is that. You know, if there's a situation of a broken marriage, you know, Paul said, he says, isn't there anybody among us who could judge? Like, you want to take your marriage to the courts. But he says, isn't there, you you want to take your quarrel to the courts. Isn't there anybody amongst us that could help you out? And I do believe wholeheartedly in um, the church being a part of that. I believe that they're uh, a group of elders, the that we have a, a pastoral board here that can could help out with anything like that, um, and I believe that the church um, needs to uh, to help. And I believe there there has to be a culture that we believe in restoration, that we believe in reconciliation, and we don't we don't want to push divorce on anybody. It is is the last case scenario, and it's just a tragic thing. And this is, this is God's word. And things are pretty, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. So our question should not be, what are all the justifiable grounds for divorce? But how can this marriage be repaired? Is anybody here tonight who's had a broken relationship in your marriage before? Anybody would just confess that? Kieran, Kieran, Brittany? Scott, my parents, okay? Like, God can heal. God can change things. God can work in relationships. And as the church, that's, that, that has to be the way that we think towards these situations. Amen. I don't, I, I don't really pretend to be an expert on this. I, uh, I spent a lot of time studying this because... This is a pretty hot topic amongst Christians. You can go online and you can, you can read whatever you want to believe online. Um, but I just stuck to the Word of God. I, I read what Jesus wrote. I read what Paul wrote. I read what's written in the Old Testament. And a marriage is a good thing. And when sin gets in it, it can mess things up. But God can take care of sin. God can forgive sin. He can help people. Let's all stand tonight. We got a really interesting lesson next week on eating meats offered to idols. So that'll be a fun one. God's good. Let's, let's just pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, you've given us instruction. God, you've given us principles to live by. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just have your hand upon the church tonight, God, every relationship, God, every marriage, oh God, Lord, what you've put together, God, let no man pull apart, God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing, in Jesus' name, you're dismissed tonight, in Jesus' name.